Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Unlocking the Potential of Trope 2 Targeted Therapy, Breakthroughs in Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer Therapeutic Approaches, is provided by Proba Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Trope 2 is emerging as a potential therapeutic target in non-small cell lung cancer, or NSCLC, and clinical trials are ongoing to evaluate the safety and efficacy of Trope 2 targeted therapy in this patient population. Are you up to date with the most recent clinical trial data for Trope 2 directed ADCs in non-small cell lung cancer? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Benjamin Levy. And I'm Dr. Alex Spira. So to start things off, let's talk about trope 2 and its role in cancer regulation, Alex. I think we're all in the practice of parsing out non-small cell lung cancer into potential distinct molecular subsets or even pdl one expression. And I think with the advent of ADCs, clearly we're starting to look at potential IHC markers that may predict efficacy to these drugs. Now, Trope 2, as of to date, is not predicting efficacy to these drugs. We can talk about this, but it's still relevant. So Trope 2 is a transmembrane glycoprotein. It's highly expressed in non-small cell lung cancer and other solid tumors. Interestingly, if you look at the data, Trope 2 overexpression is seen in roughly two-thirds or three-fourths of lung adenocarcinoma, as well as squamous cell cancers. We've seen that high Trope 2 expression is associated with poor prognosis. We've seen in at least preclinical models that Increased tropic 2 expression has been shown to accelerate tumor growth, where if you suppress it, you can slow the proliferation, the migration, the invasion of neoplastic cells. So this makes a lot of sense as a target, not only because of its relevance as a poor prognostic marker in non-small cell lung cancer, but also because it's quite frequent in lung cancer and we have ways to measure it. So, you know, again, this is this is exciting for us to see. Alex, we have an, an understanding of trope 2 overexpression and its ability to potentially prognosticate outcomes for patients, but perhaps you can talk now about the drugs that we're using to target trope 2 ADCs, maybe starting out with mechanisms of actions of trope 2 directed ADCs and then getting into some of the data that we've had. Thanks, Ben. So I think a couple of things. So first and foremost, there is so many ADCs now in clinical trial development. I don't think either one of us could keep track. And they're all very simple molecules, right? They're an antibody drug conjugate, which is three parts. The antibody, a linker that helps keep this all attached, as well as a cytotoxic poison or warhead that sits on the end of it. And all these antibody drug conjugates can be almost mixed and matched depending on where they come from. And you know, the basic mechanism of action, they actually can work in a couple of different ways. As a simple way of thinking about it, they can just bind. They're an antibody. And by binding, you're blocking uh, ligand signaling, and you're sometimes just turning off the signaling that way. Most importantly, they're an antibody drug conjugate. So I describe it as a targeted chemotherapy, where you're bringing in a little bit of chemo directly to the cancer cells, expressing whatever molecule. So in this case, if you overexpress trope 2 or even express trope 2, in that situation, you'll target anything expressing that and you'll bring that cytotoxic in. So people have had various names for that over the long term, but I kind of describe it as a smart bomb and it works very well. The challenges with all our ADCs is it's A, may not be that smart, and B, this is a pretty complex thing. We talk about it almost secondhandedly right now, but I think the real way to think about it is the side effects could be either binding of the antibody, so trope 2 is expressed in normal cells, but these antibody drug conjugates are not necessarily perfect, right? So you can get leakage of the drug conjugate into the systemic circulation, and that could lead to some of the side effects. 
We already have sasituzumab, which is approved for bladder cancer and breast cancer, and datapotamab, which we'll talk about right now as well. So this has been longstanding. The first one was approved almost 20 years ago for leukemia, and there's a lot out there. Talk briefly about some of the studies. We have good data from the, some of the phase one studies, but Trapion Lung 01 was a registrational study. And Trapion Lung 01 randomized people to either docetaxel, the standard current second line treatment, versus datapotamab deruxtecan. And deruxtecan is the warhead. That data just came out not that long ago, published at ESMO. And what it showed is that there was a clear increase in progression-free survival and higher response rates, but only limited to the adenocarcinoma population. And this really wasn't understood before. If you look at the squamous cell population, Patients did the same, if not worse, with datapotamab. But with this, we did see clear efficacy of datapotamab can compared with docetaxel in the second-line setting, clear improvement in PFS, as well as response rates, and now we're waiting for some of the overall survival data. Tropion Lung 05 looked at patients similarly, most commonly adenocarcinoma, but those with actual genomic alterations. So what do we mean by that? We mean EGFR and ALK. Most of them were EGFR, which is not a surprise. And there we clearly saw a benefit versus docetaxel. So response rates were much better with datapotamab can compared with docetaxel. Some of those patients who were in tropion lung studied very well in these settings as well. So I think we have the beginning of data right now that shows that this works. So we have antibody drug conjugates. We knew they kind of worked in the phase one. We now have randomized data. I think better overall in tropion lung 05 with axonal genomic alterations, but also compared with docetaxel and well-comer population of non-squamous cells. So with all that data right now in the second-line setting, the next step, of course, is to look at these drugs in the first-line setting. Ben, do you want to talk about some of those really ongoing studies? Of course, we don't have data right now, but maybe the scientific rationale? Yeah, I think it's a natural progression to look at these drugs in the second line then move them to front line. You elegantly went over the second line data. We now have some first line data. It's small cuts, small data points. One is the Evoco 2 study. This is looking at the ADC sesituzumab gavitakin at a trope 2 ADC. It has a monoclonal antibody with a linker and the cytotoxic payload being SN38. And a pretty clean study in my mind, looking at two separate cohorts, looking at sesituzumab gavitakin in combination with Pembro and cohort of patients with a pd one greater than 50%, and then looking at the combination with Pembro and a PDL1 cohort less than 50%. Again, small numbers, but you know, remarkably seeing some really good activity here. The objective response rate in the PDL1 greater than 50% being around 70%, the objective response in the PDL1 group less than 50%, around 40%. So I think this is sort of just gaining traction, gaining some experience to show that you can use these drugs in the first line, specifically in combination with immunotherapy. A trial that I was fortunate enough to be a part of is another study looking at ADC or trope 2 ADCs in the front line, and that's datapotamab deruxtecan, a drug you've already mentioned, Alex. This was a study looking at datapotamab deruxtecan in combination with pembrolizumab or in combination with pembrolizumab and carboplatin, again, in the second line, but also a cohort of patients in the first line asking the question, how did these drugs perform in the first line? And we saw meaningful responses in the doublet and triplet arm, objective response rates anywhere from 50 to 60%. Again, early cuts, small number of patients. So we'll have to see how this pans out. Especially in the frontline setting, what we're thinking about is two things. We're not just thinking about efficacy, but these are patients that are going to hopefully do well for a while. So we want to think about toxicity and toxicity management and what that is, because at the end of the day, Especially in that frontline setting, it's going to come down to both these survival rates, PFS, and overall survival. But most importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, toxicities. How do we deal with that and what are they? So let's talk about some of those adverse events. I kind of think about them as a couple of things. There's a little bit of ocular toxicity. 
mucositis is probably the biggest one and as well as pulmonary toxicity, which is rare, but real. So Ben, do you want to talk to us a little bit more about those and how you think about them and manage them? Yeah, I look at the adverse events for these trope 2 ADCs through two separate prisms. I think the first prism is those common side effects that we see with other chemotherapies, because sometimes we view these ADCs as chemotherapy 2.0. So we're talking about the cytopenias, we're talking about the GI toxicities, we're talking about alopecia, peripheral neuropathies, fatigue. Those are things that, as we do with other chemotherapies, We need to be mindful. We need to be proactive. We need to be able to mitigate these. And I think that we have these strategies sort of ironed out when we've used these strategies so commonly with other chemotherapies. So clearly, growth factor support for neutropenias, we're seeing that may be helpful for the sasetuzumab gavitican compound, transfusion support for anemias, obviously for diarrhea which is the most common side effect from sasetuzumab gavitakin. Using antidiarrheals, even atropine may be helpful. So these are, I think, strategies that we are well aware of, maybe some nuances, but very, very important to get our patients through this journey with the ADCs. Perhaps, and you mentioned this, Alex, more important is those AEs of special interest that we're seeing with these ADCs, these trope 2 directed ADCs. And there's probably three that come to mind for me that are important to talk about. First is stomatitis, and we'll touch upon this. Second is the ocular events that we're seeing with some of these trope 2 ADCs. And then there's the ILD. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Benjamin Levy, and here with me today is Dr. Alex Spira. We're discussing the potential of trope 2 targeted therapies in non-small cell lung cancer. Starting with stomatitis, interestingly, we have two trope 2 ADCs that are gaining a lot of traction right now, datapotamab druxtecan and sesotuzumab gavitakin. We're seeing stomatitis with datapotamab druxtecan, but we're not seeing it with sesotuzumab gavitakin, even though these drugs work very similarly. A lot of head scratching on why that is. We saw from the tropion lung one data that you discussed, Alex, that the stomatitis rate was more than 50% of patients. And so we've got to be active and be mindful of that if this drug makes it into our clinic and everyday practice. There are mitigating strategies we can employ that include dexamethasone rinses, ice chips. So there are a lot of ways I think that we can be proactive and manage these patients before it happens. The second thing that I'll mention are ocular events. Again, we see these mostly as grade one or grade two. We saw them in tropion lung 01. Ocular events usually clinically manifest as dry eyes, but this is something where we need to partner with our subspecialists like our ophthalmologists when these things occur. The third thing that's important to talk about, not only with trope 2 directed ADCs, but all ADCs and specifically HER2 directed ADCs are the ILD. Now, the ILD signal came out first with trastuzumab deruxtecan, which is a HER2 ADC, but we've seen some of this with the trope 2 directed ADC, specifically from tropion lung 01. It's not that common. All grade ILD we saw was around 8%, 9% in the datapotamab deruxtecan arm, but we need to be active with managing ILD. We need to screen our patients. We need to ask questions. We need to scan them and be proactive. We need to suspend treatment and then we need to consider steroids. I would say the one thing about ILD that's important with ADCs that's a little different than immunotherapy is that a grade one ILD with ADCs, you usually should interrupt the ADC until the ILD resolves. And that's a little different than what we have with immunotherapy. And then anything grade two or beyond really need to consider stopping drug altogether. So, you know, these are kind of the ways that I view these these two separate prisms. And Alex, you've had a chance to use 
both datapotamab, deruxacan, and cesatuzumab, gavitacan. What are the differences that you see between these two drugs? You talked about this very eloquently, Ben, but I think for me, the biggest difference is cesatuzumab has more diarrhea, which is kind of expected, right? I mean, it's an SN38 analog. For those of you who don't think about that, think of renotecan. We see renotecan metabolite. We see that not uncommonly when you use that drug. So that's typically what you see. It's also given on a more frequent schedule and a little bit more hassle for patients, say one day eight. So for me, there's a lot more GI side effects with that one. For me, the one that scares me the most is, of course, ILD. It's very rare when you see it. I think it's a pretty similar between datapotamab and sasituzumab. You know, I think all our ADCs really have some of it. And I always remind everybody that, you know, the breast cancer world is a little bit different. You know, sasituzumab is already approved. Trastuzumab, deruxtecan is approved in both. And I think what our experience is that in lung cancer, we already have lung damage. The patient's pulmonary status is never normal. They may have gotten radiation to their chest before, either palliative or curative if they relapsed. And something you really got to watch very, very closely. So that's how I kind of use them. Yeah, these are great points, Alex. I think, uh, you know, we have to remember, even though there was stomatitis and ILD and ocular vents from Tropion Lung 01, you know, if you look at the patients who got dose reduced, the dose was discontinued, that was more common in docetaxel arm than it was in the Dato DXD arm. So, and I think we'll see the same trends. Remember, we've got a VOCO1 coming out very soon which is the same as Tropion Lung 01, but using sasituzumab versus docetax. So we'll have that data in, I think, spring 2024. So it'd be interesting to see what comes out of that and how we do this apples to orange comparison between two trials with a common comparator arm of docetaxel. And that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening in and especially thank Dr. Spire for sharing his valuable insights. Alex, it was great speaking with you today. Great talking with you, Ben. Take care. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.